Well, good evening once again. This is the Reverend John St. Germain welcoming you uh, after a long hiatus, and I apologize for that, to the Christmas Silence League Hour. Tonight we'll be talking about Black Hawk and the spiritual church. I believe we will. Of course, I may get blown off that high wire on some other topics or others. We'll see. We'll just come back in just a minute, and we'll pick up where we left off. Welcome back. We had uh, problems two weeks ago. We had problems last week, and we're having problems this week. Block uh, Roulette has hit us again, I guess as well as Mercury Retrograde. Uh, we had trouble setting the show up, and uh, we had trouble logging on to Skype. So I'm actually calling in this week via my cell phone, so I hope the sound is okay. If it's not, just let me know. Nothing I can do about it, but... You know, I'll commiserate with you. Yes, we're talking about Black Hawk this week, and we're going to pick up where we left off in just a few minutes. And I uh, hope things are well with you. Mercury retrograde, I'll tell you, has manifested this time in many, many ways. Uh, I know my clients are all suffering from it um, in terms of relationships and contracts and uh, lost shipments, things getting lost in the mail. Uh, problems with cell phones and computers and um, relationship issues and legal contracts and all sorts of stuff. Um, all I can tell you is that the um, the problems will probably continue to rise and rise and rise until the uh, um, uh, April 15th or so. You know, about the time tax season is over, I guess. And what a great time to have a Mercury retrograde during tax season. So we'll just do what we can with it, right? We'll get through it. Mercury retrograde is not a time to hide under a rock anyway. You uh, you can deal with it. You can deal with Mercury retrograde. There's uh, There are ways to deal with it. We have a, a Crystal Silence League newsletter devoted to astrological bad weather, ways you can deal with Mercury retrograde with various stones and... Uh, and crystals, uh, mercury retrograde attacks the upper three chakras, you know, the throat, third eye, and crown chakra. Venus attacks the lower four Venus retrogrades. Isn't that interesting? But uh, we cover that in our newsletter. We had, we had a Lucky Mojo uh, work hour about astrological bad weather as well. You can go back in the archives and look at that. We talked about it for an hour and a half. It was, it was a very interesting show. Well, tonight, let's dive right in. Uh, our crystal of the week is selenite, and uh, most people are very familiar with the white selenite crystal. Uh, it surprises people that there's green selenite and golden selenite. Uh, I've seen blue, and I've seen selenite that looks purplish. Um, most of our stones come in a variety of colors. They're, they're finding new crystals every day, and 
and crystals that we normally think of as a, a specific color, uh, you'll find it in different colors as well. It depends on what minerals are included in it. And uh, But selenite is a transformative crystal because it is linked with the moon, you know, you know, Selena, <laughs> the moon. And uh, as the moon goes through its different phases, so do we. We go from phase to phase in our uh, transformative journey as a human being. At least we should. We usually do. And uh, the white crystals of selenite have a very strong matrix. Uh, when you see them, they uh, they have a longitudinal matrix, and they sometimes are in towers, and sometimes in what's called a fishtail arrangement or angel wing arrangement. And these particular um, configurations are used for different things. The towers are often used for grids, for instance. The fishtail and the uh, angel wings are used for various things. The angel wings are used, uh, for example, for uh, contacting higher spirits, angelic spirits. The uh, towers are used for grids. And uh, in any use, they're very high vibration crystals, the selenite. They, uh, they work on the upper chakras, the uh, third eye and the crown chakra. And they're uh, they're used in all sorts of psychic work. Just any number you can't even list it. They're uh, they help uh, activate um, past life memories, uh, psychic skills. Uh, they work on the soul star chakra, help you with angelic communication. Um, you can use selenite uh, shaken wands for healing, for aligning chakras, um, to uh, elevate yourself from a lower transformative stage to a higher stage to uh, contact God, the divine mind, the higher realms, uh, the angelic realm. Um, uh, very uh, very good for healing uh, depression, low energy stages. Um, uh, very good stone. Now, when you clean these stones and discharge them, you can't use water. Uh, selenite dissolves in water, you wind up with a handful of mush. So if you make an elixir of these and you clean them, uh, selenite can be cleaned by putting it in a bowl of blessed salt or what's called uh, cleansing rice and leaving it in the moon, under the moon overnight. So the uh, elixir is a bit tricky. Uh, you put it in a corked test tube or a corked vial or a covered vial and submerge it in your water overnight or during the day and let the water uh, be infused with its vibration. And you take it out and add a few drops of brandy and there's your, uh, there's your elixir. So uh, that, is, that is selenite. Uh, very wonderful stone. One of, one of the classics, you know, it's, it's one of the classics. It goes back to the very early times that I know of crystal healing. And um, one of the easiest stones to use, certainly. I, I know of, I don't know of a single um, stone person who doesn't use selenite for some purpose or other. Now, if it does grind up into sand, you know, through the mush, don't throw it away. You can still use it. You can sprinkle it in the corners of your house or um, put it in a bag or use it for spell work. There's numbers re reasons you can keep that around. Uh, I have a selenite sphere about as big as a, softball and it broke uh, and it broke almost perfectly in half so the hemispheres and I just used the two hemispheres on a table uh, 
you know, side by side. They they give off a wonderful uh, vibe, and I just use them. I put stuff in between them. They still work. Doesn't hurt a thing. This is the Crystal Silence League, um, which was founded, for those of you who don't know, around 1917 by a man named Claude Alexander Conlon, who um, uh, developed it, invented it, conceived it for the idea of uh, presenting positive affirmation and, and clarity and healing to those in need through the agency of crystal spheres. And he pioneered in a couple of practices. One was the use of colored crystal spheres, and the other was the four branches of crystallomancy, which we discuss uh, quite frequently on this show. And that's projection and reception and healing and, of course, scrying, seeing visions in the crystal ball. And um, when he passed into the silence around 1954, the league went with him until we at Missionary Independent Spiritual Church brought it back to life around 2007, I think, 2009. And you can find us on the web at www.crystalsilenceleague.org. And there we are. And if you go there, there's all kinds of stuff, like the newsletter, which you can download and read free, and you can subscribe to it. It's currently on hiatus while we're reorganizing our churches. And probably will come back to life after the Hoodoo Heritage Festival, which is in April, by the way, the 14th and 15th. And I urge you to uh, get your early bird registration in. I urge you to go to any of our many Facebook pages or websites, and you can find information on how to get there. I'll be teaching a workshop on my new book on lithomancy, which is reading stones and reading coins. It'll be an exciting time. We have 10 workshops, four new books being released. If you register and you attend, you get free copies of those books as well as a full bag of goodies. I think the retail value of those goodie bags alone is over $100. So, you know, why aren't you going? My goodness, gosh. Um, and uh, 10 workshops, including my workshop on lithomancy, how to read stones. And, uh, you know, uh, stones are, oh, gosh, it's amazing. You don't have to buy expensive stones to do lithomancy. You can go out on the beach or near a river and pick up stones on, off the ground and, uh, with uh, four or five stones, uh, train them, and you can become uh, a skilled lithomancer. In coins, uh, uh, you can do readings of coins, uh, reaching your pocket, get a handful of coins, and boom, once you learn techniques and you understand how to bless and train coins, uh, it's wonderful stuff. Crystal Silence League, if you go there also, you will find our prayer page where people can post prayers. And prayer is always free at the Crystal Silence League. And we have a gift shop. And if you buy uh, a crystal, $5 or more, you get a free book. And one of those books could be Crystal Gazing by uh, our founder, uh, Claude Conlon, or uh, How to Use Codes uh, and Prayer with Crystal Balls, also by Claude Conlon. You don't get my book free. It's you got to pay $9 to get my book, Crystal Magic, which is a further... Uh, lessons in how to use crystal balls and crystals. But um, prayer is free, and when you go there and post a prayer, people will click on it and pray for you, and you get a little email that says uh, someone prayed for you. And we get about 200 prayers a week, and I'm going to read some of those with you. And if you go to the prayer page, you can pray along with me. 
or you can just pray along with me now. And if you have a crystal ball, you can pray into your crystal ball and send the healing energy to the following people who I will not identify by name, but I will identify by prayer ID number. And we have prayer ID number 70552, who says, thank you, Saint Expedite, for getting my license back so easily. Isn't that great? Prayer ID 70551, who says, please pray for my broken capillaries to go away. I'm depressed and afraid of risky professional treatment to or from my aggressive anxiety disorder, and then another, a self-harm injury, no intended or aware would result in this. Please pray I'm forgiven and free from anxiety, and they go away. I'm trying safer treatment, but hopeless. Please pray for me. Amen. Prayer writing 70550. Please pray that my family and I are able to relocate to the apartment that we can afford Please pray that my husband is able to find work very soon. Please pray for us. We need all the help that we can get so that we can make it and keep our head above water. Please pray that we have good fortune. Amen. Prayer ID 70549. I ask that I receive enough prosperity now and in the future to pay all my bills, have enough savings, and to move us into a beautiful, safe, healthy, and peaceful home. I also ask that D helps me. Please protect us from all negativity. Thank you. I'm grateful. May everyone who reads this prayer be blessed abundantly. Amen. Prayer ID 70548. My current job situation has changed to a point where I'm no longer happy and I'm ready for a new change of scenery and consistent Monday to Friday daytime hours. I have a child on the way due in August, and I need my employment and financial situation to improve to accommodate my new situation. Please pray for me and my family in Jesus' name, and thank you. Amen. And prayer ID 70547. Please join my prayers for my youngest son to pass his CBEST exams and gain full-time employment in the career of his choice. He graduates college in May. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer ID 70546. And please join me in prayer. And my son finally gets into his dream job that he's been applying to for years and that his finances are such that he can move his family into a much-needed, bigger living space. And thank you in advance. Amen. Very well. Amen. Prayer ID 70544. May God bless the Crystal Silence League and all who practice Flint. I'm being healed now for sick, vagus nerve, sick building syndrome, allergies and intolerance, constipation, swollen ankles, irregular heartbeat, head injury, oppression by SJWs, by Jesus Christ stripes. I'm healed. I can do all things through Jesus Christ. May Jesus Christ send me ministries of complete healing and theosis. Hosanna. Amen. That's the first one that didn't involve employment. Thanks. Thank you, thank you. Prayer ID 70543. Lord, you're the God who saves me day and night. I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry and bring back my partner, H, 
to me, her depression is taking a toll on her mind and her friends. Influence, bad, restore us again. My God, for the sake of our pure love and our families and our two children who need both of us and plead that we get it back together, quickly open the supernatural gates. I have nobody else in this world who I love so very much. Amen. And pray right here, 70542. Please pray for my husband, B. He meets with the VA today to ask they extend him one more year of educational benefits to help him finish school and help our family financially. I'm currently pregnant and baby is due in June. And we really need to get approved for this. Amen. And let's have a moment of prayer for all those in need of prayer and comfort and support. Amen. Our topic this week is Black Hawk, um, the Sock warrior who became a saint in the spiritualist church uh, through the agency of uh, Mother Leafy Anderson. Um, she had several saints. There's Black Hawk, White Hawk, um, uh, Mother Mary who she channeled, and uh, the one that really stuck with us does seem to be Blackhawk. And we want to look a little bit in Blackhawk the man, and then we'll talk a little bit more about Blackhawk the spirit. And um, Blackhawk, or Black Sparrowhawk, he, uh, as uh, his name seems to imply, his, his name was Makatami Chi Kaikai, and uh, Kaikai that last part, Kai Kai, that's the cry of the Black Hawk. And Makatame uh, Shikai means uh, he who is a, a, black, a large Black Hawk. So it's a descriptive name. When he was born, his father and mother said, he is going to be a large Black Hawk. Uh, and he was born around 1767. 
um, in, uh, in Illinois, present-day Illinois, and his father was the tribal medicine man of the Sauk people. He was a shaman. He was a magician. He was a wizard. He was a wonder worker. His father's name was uh, Paisa. And um, this village was used during the summer for growing corn, and it was a burial site. During the winter, they would uh, travel across the Mississippi uh, into what is now Iowa for uh, hunting and trapping. Uh, many Native American tribes did this. They they moved around. Uh, now, it was said that um, uh, Black Hawk uh, went out uh, in combat with his father, and well, Black Hawk himself said this in his autobiography, uh, went out in raids against neighboring tribes. Uh, the Native Americans fought among the tribes constantly. Uh, there's this kind of, uh, I don't know, mythos about Native Americans that uh, we all got along, but, oh, man, uh, the constant fighting. It was tribe against tribe, and uh, Native Americans enslaved each other, and, you know, we were... Uh, guilty of all the excesses and crimes that people do against each other. Uh, and uh, there's this uh, mythos that we respected the land, too, but from all accounts, uh, we would leave the land uh, uh, filthy and then move somewhere else, and, you know, nature would reclaim it, then, you know, we'd come back. So, you know, let's not, you know, you know I'm Cherokee, I'm Choctaw, I'm not going to sugarcoat my people. You know, we, we're, we're as bad as anybody. We didn't have this nobility that seems to have grown up in a mythos. Um, but anyway, um, at age 15, Black Hawk uh, killed a bunch of people again, you know, in battle and won approval and admiration of his tribe. He was very a very fierce, very fierce warrior. Uh, he uh, was very ambitious. He wanted to be a captain. He wanted to be a warrior. And uh, there's a, a term used a lot called uh, war chief, and that's not exactly um, – uh, an accurate um, statement because uh, the war chiefs were actually war leaders. They weren't chiefs. They weren't commanders. They were, you know, they did not lead a tribe. They were war leaders. They led bands. They would be kind of like generals. Uh, but I want to tell you that um, when Black Hawk's father died, and this is the important point of this, um, Black Hawk inherited his father's medicine bundle so Black Hawk became very important in his tribe because he became the hereditary medicine man. Black Hawk himself carried the tribal medicine bundle, and this is not often mentioned um, in a lot of the biographies or uh, um, common discussions of Black Hawk that he carried his father's medicine bundle. He carried a magical object that gave him status in the tribe. This is a very important thing to know. Um, so um, after his father died and um, uh, Black Hawk began to establish himself as a leader, a war leader, not a chieftain, but a war leader, and he began leading all kinds of raiding parties um, against the Osage, um, or the Osagi, and uh, um, um, he didn't. He didn't belong to a um, 
there's a there's a system of, of uh, families uh, among uh, certain Native American tribes. It's like a caste system, and certain families had power. And uh, Black Hawk was not a part of the families that could rise to chieftain. So uh, it was a hereditary clan. It was a, a bloodline. You, if you were in this bloodline, you could become a chief. If you weren't, you couldn't. But uh, he achieved fame through his uh, prowess as a warrior and uh, a leader. Uh, so during the War of 1812, um, Black Hawk, who was about middle-aged at this point, he was in his uh, middle to late 40s, uh, had a band of about uh, 200, 250 warriors um, uh, contested. There was a whole group of tribes who contested the uh, Treaty of St. Louis between uh, the Sauk and Fox nations and uh, William Henry Harrison uh, that that uh, basically uh, granted a whole bunch of land in the United States. Uh, the the Sauk and the Fox tribes said uh, no no this is uh, this is uh, not right and uh, I'll I'll tell you I got his autobiography right here um, um, and you know and about that some um, uh, some historians uh, question the authenticity of Black Hawk's autobiography um, but um, uh, most Native American historians have come to the uh, conclusion that it is uh, genuine. That it's genuine. There was an interpreter named Antoine Leclerc, who was a government Indian agent who actually spoke Sauk, and and he read it back to him because it was edited by a newspaper editor, and um, um, the orig the original work is uh, in English, and you know it has colloquialisms from the time. Um, you can tell it was written by a white man, but Black Hawk um, uh, basically is a very bitter indictment of the American government um, and the American um, uh, what we would call now ethnic cleansing. There's no other word for it. It was ethnic cleansing. Um, so um, during this um, time, um, and, and there's something you have to understand. There was a lot of retaliation against uh, white settlers by Native Americans, and um, sometimes it's called vengeance. But I'm going to tell you that in many Native American cultures, there's no word for vengeance. There's a word called justice. Um, I know in Cherokee, uh, there's no word for vengeance, but there's a word for justice or restitution or balance. And, uh, you know, if you kill uh, a man's son, uh, it's necessary to go and balance. So that man might come and kill your son, and balance is achieved. And it's accepted. It is just accepted. So uh, Black Hawk, Black Hawk, uh, passionately hated, he passionately hated the Americans uh, because they came to their land where they grew corn and found it had been fenced off and settled by white settlers. It had been sold by the government to white settlers. They came to grow their corn uh, for the summer, and there were people living on it. 
Uh, imagine if you if you left on vacation for the winter, uh, you went to Florida and you came back and there's and there's uh, people living in your home. And so, oh yeah, yeah, uh, we bought we bought your home while you're gone. You know, the government sold it to us. This, this is exactly exactly what happened. It is. I mean, there's no difference whatsoever. Uh, Black Hawk was a passionate patriot of his people, and uh, I'm going to tell you that during the uh, during the War of 1812, he he said um, um, he said um, he told Antoine Leclerc, "I had not discovered one good trait." I'm quoting this in the character of the Americans that had come to this country. They made fair promises but never fulfilled them, while the British made very few promises, but we could always rely upon their word. Why did the Great Spirit ever send the whites to this island to drive us from our homes and introduce among us poisonous liquors, disease, and death? They should have remained upon the island where the Great Spirit first placed them, and that would be Europe. This is what Black Hawk said. And uh, so... As these white settlers came ever closer to fulfilling what what was later called manifest destiny, there was this cultural collision, and Black Hawk's life became dedicated to protecting his people. So Black Hawk began drawing his forces together um, to not only attack the Americans but also uh, other tribes that supported the Americans. So, um, uh, Black Hawk, during this time, that you can go battle to battle, but he was arrested and released many times. Um, and um, um, the Sock and Fox sold um, under the uh, uh, during during Black Hawk's at, uh, absence, uh, uh, a leader named Keokuk was elected chief. And there was a lifelong bitterness between Black Hawk and Keokuk. I'll tell you that because uh, Keokuk started selling land to the American government, and Black Hawk bitterly opposed it. Uh, Keokuk approved treaties. Black Hawk wanted to organize a, a resistance, uh, linking tribes together, uh, all the way to Mexico in a fight against the Americans. And uh, Keokuk's council did not embrace that. So uh, strife ensued among all these tribes. Black Hawk and others were avenging deaths who were killed. Um, they were attacking uh, uh, civilians and army both. So the government, in the meantime, was happily selling land on Rock Island to the settlers uh, with the full understanding that these settlers were risking their lives because Black Hawk and his band and other, other tribes, there were other tribes, but Black Hawk was the main, uh, the most damaging. So uh, uh, as whites moved into the area, uh, alcohol production accelerated, as it happens with uh, <laughs> whenever people uh, whenever people colonize alcohol, soon follow, vice vice will soon follow. Um, uh, Indians were being cheated out of their personal property, including horses and guns. Indians. Uh, uh, did not respect the fences or property lines. They broke through uh, uh, and smashed the uh, the stockpiles of liquor and the distilleries. And, and then was it on then? Um, in the meantime, the tribal councils were trying to uh, inveigle these uh, co- these contracts and 
uh, treaties and stuff. And uh, um, so about 1831, everything came to a head. Uh, Black Hawk and his men returned to the village from a long hunt that had gone very well and found uh, their ancestral land being divided up by a whole bunch of uh, white settlers and prospectors. Uh, the settlers had damaged their lodges, destroyed the corn crop planted by the women, and uh, Black Hawk arranged a meeting. He said, okay, I'm going to keep my head on this one. I'm not going to kill everybody. He, and he arranged a meeting with the government agents, and he demanded the white intruders get out. And he, in his own words, he said, I now determined to put a stop to it. And I told them that they must and should leave our country, and I gave them until the middle of the next day. <laughs> he, he gave them 24 hours to get out. So uh, Black Hawk's men repaired the lodges that, that had been destroyed, and Keokuk, the South leader who had signed that treaty, trying to negotiate a compromise, and he failed. Uh, there was no more friendship between us, uh, uh, said Black Hawk about Keokuk. I looked upon Keokuk as a coward. Now, with a sense of justice that uh, pervades uh, every, everything he wrote, uh, uh, Black Hawk allowed a white settler who had a large family to remain if he promised to behave well. Now, Black Hawk was now a very respected leader. Uh, his followers looked to him for uh, survival and for salvation. Now, at this point, uh, Black Hawk and his followers had uh, become outcasts from many of the tribes who were just trying to get along with the American government. Um, uh, there was a at this point, there was a Winnebago uh, prophet named White Cloud, um, and uh, Black Hawk met with him because White Cloud said, I need to talk to you, Black Hawk, and uh, Black Hawk said, what? And White Cloud was believed to be a prophet, a clairvoyant. He uh, received messages from the Great Spirit. And uh, uh, so uh, White Cloud said that he had a uh, vision that a great war chief uh, – was on route uh, to uh, the area of the troops. And as it turned out, that was right. It was uh, Major General Edmund P. Gaines, the hero of the War of 1812, who had fought with uh, Andrew Jackson against the Creek and the Seminole, and Andrew Jackson's uh, determined genocide against the Native Americans, and more on him later. So Black Hawk was getting old now. He was in his mid-60s. Uh, and the prophet... Uh, White Cloud shared his passion of the Maintain Indian rule. Uh, so the prophet said uh, that the uh, the white chief, the president's aim was to frighten everyone from the village, and the white people might get the land for nothing. So uh, Black Hawk was reluctant to start a war with the greatly uh, superior numbers of the white people. So he was a little bit nervous about this, but you know he's waiting to see. And these federal troops, you know, hundreds and hundreds of them, took up uh, station all along the Mississippi, and uh, uh, and they had steamboats going up and down the Mississippi. And uh, General Gaines, I got I've got all these books. I've got like uh, seven inches of books about eyewitness accounts of this. Um, and uh, General Gaines wrote that. Uh, uh, their village is so situated that I could, from the steamboat alone, destroy all their marked houses in a few minutes, but all the force now with me without the loss of a single man. 
he boasted, uh, but I'm resolved to abstain from firing a shot without some bloodshed or some manifest attempt to shed blood on the part of the Indians. So Black Hawk and his, and his uh, lieutenants met with Gaines. Uh, the general said to Black Hawk, my business is to remove you peaceably if I can, but forcibly if I must. So there were some attempts here to uh, reconcile, but Black Hawk replied, I can never consent to leave my village. So Black Hawk uh, and his tribe, uh, his group of followers, uh, emphasized that they never signed an agreement to give up their land on Rock Island, and they, but they didn't want war with the general. They wanted to stay where they had been living. Now, Keokuk, in the meantime, stuck his big bazoo in and assured Gaines that some 50 families would follow him in leaving the area. Keokuk said, oh, and, uh, you know, keep that boat with your guns away from us. You know, we'll, we'll leave. And... Uh, and begged the general not to use force against Black Hawk and his holdouts until the others left. Said, "Yeah, don't, don't, don't uh, blow your guns and stuff until you know me and my guys can you know get the hell out." Keokuk was a piece of work, wasn't he? So Keokuk needed time to vacate, as the corn planting season was nearly done, and they wanted to harvest their crops before moving. So Keokuk said, "Yeah, let's take all the food and leave, and then you can just blow Black Hawk's ass away." So. Black Hawk met with the prophet again, who told him to send uh, the daughter of another chief to meet with the white chief and plead the case anew. Gaines told the woman to get lost. He wasn't on top of the woman. So Black Hawk didn't want to start a fight. They went about their business as this uh, war boat, this warship, this uh, steamboat bristling with guns uh, went back and forth, you know, like a pit bull, very close to shore. And uh, so now they're joined by more and more army forces. There, there's hundreds and hundreds of militia here. Uh, Black Hawk and his gang um, um, stayed while Keokuk's gang fled. And um, in June of 1831, Black Hawk signed an agreement that said they wouldn't return to the east side of the Mississippi without permission of the government. And in return, Gaines promised that they would be provided corn to supplant that which they had left growing in the fields. So there was a, a lot of promises made where uh, all white persons concerned were very eager to justify their actions. There were uh, dis dispositions and reports and copies of letters, uh, dossiers, uh, and uh, to show that Black Hawk's band was a savage military force which had invaded Illinois, attacked peaceful settlers, and was planning to drench the frontier with blood, quote and unquote. The story of the Sauk and Fox Indians who had gone among the tribes of the Southwest and the relation of the Black Hawk band to the British and to the Winnebago, Potawatomi, and Kickapoo was touted as demonstrating an intention of the whole tribe to organize a general war against the United States with military aid from Canada. <laughs> they drug the Canadians into it. Uh, and Governor Reynolds was embarrassed when he discovered that the settlers were digging up the bones in the old Indian graveyard and burning the remains. So by 1831, Black Hawk's uh, troops were facing starvation, and they returned to the now-forbidden Rock Island. He had about 500 warriors and about an equal number of women and children. So the group began moving north to meet the prophet again. And uh, White Cloud assured them that a new white chief, who turned out to be General Henry Atkinson, would not attack as they, they 
uh, acted peacefully. So the, the United States Army sending more and more troops in, and what became known as the Black Hawk War started to commence, and it started as a misunderstanding. Perhaps Mercury was in retrograde. We just don't know. Atkinson sent messages to Black Hawk saying, get off the land. Black Hawk sent word back that he was traveling north to the prophet's land to make corn. So the Salk and Fox Braves were drawn into combat with a military force that outnumbered them two to one. Drunken guards, uh, led by Major Isaiah Stillman, killed three Indians who had approached them peacefully under a flag of peace. And those deaths confirmed Black Hawk's suspicions about white motives, and he attacked. Forty Indians routed Stillman's 270 soldiers, killing a dozen white men. Forty Indians routed 270 soldiers, killing a dozen white men. So they raided the arms and munitions, and uh, fortified with these arms and supplies from the troops, Black Hawk removed the Indian women and children and led his warriors back to Illinois. As word spread among settlers about Stillman's mutilated soldiers, they, they performed mutilation, ritual mutilations on the soldiers, which white army people didn't understand. This was spiritual uh, procedure. He was a ferocious general and a very smart general. And um, um, Black Hawk was not a tragic figure. He was not a romantic figure. He was at war with history's chessboard that tried to turn him into a pawn, and he wasn't going to have it. Black, Hawk, Black Hawk's men were beating uh, their own retreat at this point because they just kept piling troops against him. General Atkinson's forces were backed at this point by the Illinois Volunteer Militia. Uh, by the way, Abraham Lincoln was part of that. Abraham Lincoln went to kill some Indians. He freed the slaves, but he was out to kill some Indians. Now, he didn't, as it turned out, but... Uh, uh, he, he joined the Illinois Volunteer Militia. Pushed back to Lake Koshkanog, where a battalion of lead mine rangers from Wisconsin joined the U.S. Illinois troops. The Indians scrambled up cliffs at Prairie du Sac on the southern side of the Wisconsin River. And it is written by uh, Reuben Thwaites in a certain book that I have. Uh, With consummate skill, Black Hawk made a stand at the summit of the heights, and with a small party of warriors held the whites in check until the non-combatants had crossed the broad river bottoms below and gained shelter upon the willow-grown shore opposite. He held the, ar the army at that point. They were killing the women and children. Um, uh, in his um, autobiography, he, um, he talks about watching pregnant women uh, being shot in the river. Um, let's see. Uh, um, I'd have to find it. Um, but uh, he talks about how he's watching women and children and pregnant women being gunned down in the rivers that were trying to cross. So he and his, he and his warriors uh, held off the army until they could get safely across. It, it was a genocide, and it was a massacre. And uh, if you read the descriptions of how the American troops behaved and compared to how the Nazis behaved in Germany when they were killing children and women, there's no difference. There's no difference. And these were these, this was the army under the command of Commander in Chief and President Andrew Jackson. So Black Hawk tried to surrender at this point, uh, 
Andrew Jackson at this time send, sent in Major General Winfield Scott, um, who was a hero of the War of 1812 and uh, another um, genocidal racist, by the way. But Scott's men were thwarted by cholera. So Black Hawk at this point tried to surrender, basically to save the women and children and old people. But the enemies at this point, they, they were going to rebel. They were going to eradicate uh, any Indian in sight to make a uh, 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 make an end to it. So the Menominee and Sioux warriors at this point wanted to settle some old scores with the Salk. Remember, the tribes fought each other. So um, um, the, uh, the Menominee and Salk uh, banded again with the whites against the Salk, uh, joined the hunt for the very last free Indians the very last three Indians in America. Um, so a third surrender was refused. And in the end, it was a route with 3,000 white people stalking a couple of hundred Indians, many of whom were women and children and old men. Uh, they think it was about 1,000 people, half of whom were women and children and old men. Um, Oh, no, no, it's the remnants of the 1,000, 300, 300 Indians. There are 10 to 1, 3,000 whites stalking um, 300 Indians who, who were starving. The weapons lost, and uh, they uh, began crossing the Mississippi with the full weight and anger of the United States Army after them. They tried to give themselves off, uh, states Black Hawk in his autobiography, but the whites commenced slaughtering them. In a little while, the whole army arrived. As many women as could commit swimming the Mississippi with their children on their backs. A number of them were drowned and some shot before they could reach the opposite shore. And most of those who did make it across, including the women and children, were later slaughtered by the Sioux. About 150 Salk survived. Black Hawk escaped to a Winnebago camp, where they soon turned him over to the Americans. The prophet White Cloud also surrendered, having failed to fortify his flanks. Now, the ironic thing about this is this whole Black Hawk War had been uh, documented and uh, popularized by the press. And the white popular imagination through newspaper reports of these bloody savages, um, um, even, now, even though the press had to tell the truth and saying, okay, five, you know, 500 warriors had fought off 2,000 army successfully, uh, 200 warriors had fought off 1,000 army successfully. One time they ever beat Black Hawk was when he was outnumbered five to one, uh, ten to one. The only time, well, actually, uh, that's the only time the army ever beat most Native Americans. Uh, one of my ancestors, uh, Turtle at Home, who was Dragging Canoe's um, brother, holds the record for the greatest number of army victories, uh, army people killed. Uh, even. Uh, Little Bighorn is second to Turtle at Home. It, it, you know, it was, uh, you know, weapons don't win a war. Strategy wins wars. So um, um, it became, the Black Hawk War became so famous that uh, the people that served in it gained fame. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, Zachary Taylor, uh, uh, Jefferson Davis, they uh, they would, in their speeches, when they were running for office, would say, yes, I served in the Black Hawk War. And uh, uh, Many, um, uh, many of these people. So, uh, uh, 
Jefferson Davis actually escorted Black Hawk and his two sons uh, to prison. Of course, Jefferson Davis later led the Confederacy. He was a rebel himself and uh, perhaps inspired by Black Hawk. Um, um, and Black Hawk tells us in his biography, his autobiography, on our way down, I surveyed the country that had cost us so much trouble, anxiety, and blood, and that now caused me to be a prisoner of war. I reflected upon the ingratitude of the whites when I saw their fine houses, rich harvests, and everything desirable around them, and recollected that all this land had been ours, for which me and my people had never received a dollar, and that the whites were not satisfied until they took our village and our graveyards from us and removed us across the Mississippi. And so when he was... Uh, um, in prison, uh, Chief Keokuk, who by now was uh, Andrew Jackson's lapdog, uh, interceded for them and pleaded for their release. And uh, uh, Andrew Jackson and his um, – well, here's, here's a newspaper article. Um, uh, owing, owing to his status as a chief, the prophet went first tall and dignified, uh, writes this reporter. Um, the prophet had debonair mustachios and a slot curl to his upper lip. Black Hawk was next, a little man, remarkable for his pyramidal forehead and hypnotic eyes. Black Hawk's son and an adopted son followed, along with the prophet's brother and adopted son. So they were shown all these portraits of Indians who had visited the White House. Some had been their allies, other enemies of war's past. They were ushered into the office of President Jackson. The white-haired general who had seen as many winters as I had, Black Hawk would say in his memoir. Jackson, who had defeated the creek in Florida and Alabama, was 65, the same age as Black Hawk. Jackson immediately reminded them they were hostages. And he said, it's only necessary to deport yourselves peaceably. Your detention is mainly dependent upon your good conduct. If they obeyed the treaty signed in 1832, they would have safe passage to their families and friends. In other words, if you don't kick up a fuss that we stole all your property, everything's fine. So Black Hawk invoked, quote, the great spirit of myself and forefathers to witness the purity of my heart on this occasion, discovering that war had been waged against my tribe. I could not return to that tribe in peace. The consequences I now regret. And he pledged sincerity. The prophet offered a peace pipe, which President Jackson and his advisors took turns puffing. The prophet closed with a request that they be allowed to return to their people. Black Hawk wore a red blanket, and he stood and met the president's gaze. I am a man, and you are another, said Black Hawk. According to the New American uh, newspaper, he said, we did not expect to conquer the whites. They had too many houses and too many men. I took up the hatchet for my part to revenge injuries which my people could no longer endure. And uh, I, want to, I want to stop there because the rest of the story with Andrew Jackson was that uh, there was a tour made because uh, people were very uh, romantic about uh, um, Black Hawk and they wanted to meet him. So Andrew Jackson and Black Hawk went on a tour across the country together. They were celebrities, and people wanted to have their picture made with um uh, Black Hawk, which means you sat for a very long time while somebody drew a painted a picture of you with him. And a lot of these pictures exist. You can find them. There's lots of paintings and drawings of Black Hawk. And, 
Andrew Jackson got very mad because nobody cared about him. He wasn't anything. They wanted to talk to Blackhawk. He eventually got mad and went home, and Blackhawk went through the uh, tour by himself, and he was uh, wined and dined and made, made quite a fuss over. And uh, um, and uh, that return trip was disastrous for Andrew Jackson. Uh, um, he uh, uh, it got under Jackson's skin up. Uh, he didn't attend scheduled performances. Um, um, the uh, there's one account that says uh, Andrew Jackson was riding horseback in a parade down Broadway, and he said the only disappointment in the assembled multitude seemed to be that Black Hawk and his friends did not form part of the cortege. Um, uh, and it said Black Hawk was making a monkey of the president, right? Uh, Turner, who was a newspaper article, the triumphal tour had turned into a farce. How the Indian must be laughing behind that stolid mask. Uh, so, uh, uh, but uh, Black Hawk did not make any kind of uh, uh, disparaging remarks about Andrew Jackson. Uh, he never did. And uh, um, so, uh, uh, he posed for a lot of portraits and many, many portraits for him. And uh, Andrew Jackson got mad and went home, basically. You know, he had big ego. So I wanted to leave with this particular quote. I took up the hatchet for my part to revenge injuries, which my people can no longer endure. And that's a good place to pick up the history of the spiritual church. Uh, the spiritual church was founded as a response to oppression and racism and injuries which were unendurable. When we think about the rise of the spiritual church, we, uh, when you think about New Orleans, where the most uh, horrendous activities occurred, uh, slaves were brought over up to and well into the Civil War. Um, Entire cultures were attempted to be stripped from uh, not only the uh, African Americans, the blacks, but also the Indians. Uh, caste systems were imposed that existed. Do you know it existed until recently? Uh, there was a woman who was, uh, it turned out, and this term was used, she was an octoroon. She was one-eighth black. And uh, it was determined that, and this was in 1980, in New Orleans, and this was held against her in some legal matter. And I, I was in the 80s, and I was like, why? Because there were still laws on the books in Louisiana. Um, I wanted to describe a, uh, a service to you this week, uh, and this is uh, peculiar to the spiritualists and spiritual churches. It's called a blessing service. Um, and there's a lot of uh, practices, testifying, anointing with holy oil. Um, the blessing service is public prophecy. It's in the context of a thing called a blessed service or a prophecy service, and it usually is at the end of a regular service. But what happens is uh, a, a person with the gift of prophecy is brought in. Usually it's somebody from out of town. Sometimes it's the regular pastor, but it's somebody from out of town, and they deliver messages from spirit and these messages from spirit are uh, delivered sometimes from the front of the church to specific individuals 
and some, or sometimes they will walk among the crowd and, and move in and talk to specific individuals quietly. Um, um, they usually attract large numbers of people. Um, and um, I have an account here from a book called The Black Spiritual Movement um, by a, uh, a gentleman named uh, Hans Baer, who, by the way, is a professor at the University of Tennessee right here in town. And it said, uh, a personal prophetess of West Indian ancestry who lives in New York, who I will call Reverend Dixon, conducted several blessed services at St. Stephen's Spiritual Church in Indianapolis during the spring of 1980. Reverend Dixon told me that on one night of the second visit, she read 74 individuals during the course of the blessed service. After the Sunday night blessed service in which two women and I accompanied Reverend Dixon, she said that most of those who filled St. Stephen's to standing room that night were not members of the spiritualist churches, but people who had been unable to receive deliverance in Baptist and other churches. So when the prophet is in town, not only do they attract members of the regular congregation, but also from other churches to come in and receive these blessings and these messages. Um, at the Sacred Heart Spiritual Temple in Nashville, the blessed service is regularly conducted on Wednesday by Reverend Wilson, at least during the warmer months of the year. Um, apparently, uh, Mr. Wilson discovered he had the gift of prophecy. Unfortunately, he felt there was a little opportunity for him to develop and use his gift in the Catholic Church, so he drifted into spiritualism, as many do. For a while during his residence in Massachusetts, Reverend Wilson um, um, was a member of a white congregation affiliated with the National Spiritual Association, moved to Nashville in 65, worked the spiritual churches because it gave him the freedom to prophesy and teach. And we'll pick this up next week, and we are going to talk more about the blessed service, how Black Hawk manifests during them, and how Black Hawk's quest for justice is often called upon to bring justice and balance when oppression and misfortune occurs in our life. Let's go out with just a little bit of music, and I'll see you next week. Black Hawk, God, Spirit, and Mercury willing. <laughs>